It's time for Grillin' McMillan with ESPN Las Vegas NFL insider Mark McMillan on Cofield and Company. Damon, are you good at Papa Shot? Not as good as I'd like to be. Me either. One time yeah. Q and I played and he destroyed me. And I was talking a pretty big game going in and I was embarrassed. But in real basketball, you can beat him. He says that he could beat me. We, we, we tried to work up a big competition around it. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think my youth would maybe help me out a little bit. That's what I was going to say. Uh, no insult. I don't mean this in a bad way, but he's kind of old. But sometimes I can be intimidated. If the trash talk is good enough, I can doubt myself. Is that right? It's happened to me before. Where some, someone's like, man, he's LeBron and Kobe and Michael Jordan all combined. I, I'll start to doubt myself. Hey, maybe they're right. Nah. I, I, the way I look at it, if you've got to talk a lot, you're probably not that good. But, uh, yeah, at the Cove here at Treasure Island, they got the Papa Shot, a couple of Papa Shot machines, and, like, high-level Papa Shot. Mark McMillan is with us, Chef Mark McMillan, former Eagle, former Kansas City Chief. Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Now y'all wait, make me want to break out my sneakers, man, and work on my jump shot. Well, well, that kind of answers my question here. Um, Papa Shot, are you good? Uh, you know what? I, I like to say I'm good at anything I touch, man. Yeah. Anything I touch, I think I'm pretty good at. Now, the outcome, I don't know. But in my mind, I think I can still play one down in an NFL. But my body is probably like, nah, bro. No. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Um, my <laughs> issue with Papa Shot is I try to shoot it like a basketball and, like, have the form and a good follow-through. And that's not the way you play Papa Shot. You basically just have to be skilled at chucking it and, like, getting off 50 shots in a minute. There's no form. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we I have kids, so I've been I've been raised in Chuck E. Cheese for for years. There you go. And I play that game a lot. My son is actually really good at it, and he's got long arms. I got the short arms, but man, it, it's a great game, man. It's a universal game. Your week last week was crazy, so I didn't uh, I didn't get over to Taste of the NFL. Can you describe what it was like there? I know you were signing autographs, but all the sampling is of food, the different chefs. What was it like? Uh, it was awesome, man. That was my first time being uh, in that space and seeing, you know, Chef Zimmerman and some of the Food Network stars, uh, you know, recognize me from being on Next Level Chef with Gordon Ramsay, which was really cool because uh, you had some of the NFL players like, how do they know you? You know, so I felt like a little chef celebrity yeah! inside of greatness. So, you know, a lot of people are like, man, I thought you played football, but everything now you guys know, man, I, I, I surrounded about cooking. I uh, play football, yes, but this is like my second passion. And being recognized by some of the top chefs in the country in their space, man, that was pretty cool. Damon, do you remember last week um, I mentioned Mark to uh, Mark's story to Roy Choi? And uh, Roy Choi has got best friend uh, just up the strip from here uh, at Treasure Island. Like, really, you know, John Favreau is his pal. Roy Choi was like, Yeah, I know Mark. I know who he is. Yeah, I know. I was like, Okay. <laughs> I'm like, son of a gun. This guys are right. You just you just chuckle. Um, did you actually get some of the food at Taste of NFL? I did. I did taste a lot of the food. Um, you know, got a sample a lot. You know, we were signing autographs as well. And like I said, it was just crazy from people seeing me. They put my chef picture up there uh, next to my autograph station. So people are like double taking. And they're like, "Were you the guy that was on Next Level Chef?" I was like, wow. "Yes." So that was that was pretty cool. But the food was amazing. The atmosphere was amazing. Uh, they raised a ton of money. Uh, for gin use, uh, you know, for kids uh, that, that don't have opportunities to eat, you know, so they raise a ton of money to uh, be able to feed a lot of kids here in, in Las Vegas. 
and the surrounding city. So it was just really cool to be a part of that. Like I said, it was my first time being a part of that. They put me in the front. Like, as soon as you come to the entrance, it was me and Doug Flutie. So I really felt special. Well, how much do you think that that has to do with you being not only a former Chief, but a former 49er as well, where you could play both sides. So fan base from both teams could say, hey, I want to get an autograph and a picture with Grill and McMillan. Yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was the question. Everybody's like, well, who are you going to root for? I was like, well, last year it was the Eagles and the Chiefs. So I was a bat in the 1,000, so my Chiefs won. This year it was the 49ers and the Chiefs. So I was batting a 1,000, and the Chiefs won again. So it was just cool, man, just to see the different fan bases and seeing how excited everybody was. Uh, you know, just seeing me in a different light, not in the uniform, but as, as cooking. You know, there were people actually buying my spices, and they actually used my spices at one of the stations around the rim of margaritas, and people couldn't get enough of it. What was really? the spice? I'm tr- oh, with the margarita, I'm interested. <laughs> it, was, it was my cooking with Clara spices that are available now, again, online, as well as barbecue concepts here in, in Las Vegas. So it's cooking with Clara, and then I have the Boom 3.0. It's like a little sweet, little heat. Um, so everybody was like, hey, you know, why don't you try your spices on the margarita rim? And after that, it was lights out. Everybody's like, hey, what did you guys put on that rim? They're like, hey, that's Chef McMillan's uh, sweet heat barbecue sauce, and I had the, the spices as well. And people started buying my spices out of my backpack. <laughs> Ooh, all right, big week, profitable week. I like it. Chef Mark McMillan, <laughs> former NFLer, a uh, longtime member of the Cofield and Company crew, is with us. Uh, the flag football game, how'd that go? Oh, the flag football game was amazing. Uh, you know, that's a rising sport. Um, one of the young ladies, I think her name was JoJo, who's actually on the national team, who's probably going to make the Olympic team. Um, she was so good, they had to sit her down in the first half. Yeah. Like, she was, her skill set was, like, way above the wives. Uh, but there were some wives out there that really got after it as well. Uh, Ricky Waters, we were going back and forth on the microphone, so we got a chance to commentate it. But uh, it was just good to see those young ladies get out there. There were some high school kids, uh, young ladies. Uh, from the Las Vegas area that's going to be uh, trying out for the national team as well. So just see the skill set of some of these girls. Man, it was a quarterback. I think this young lady was like a freshman in high school. Dude, she was dropping dimes, really? like throwing bullets. <laughs> I uh, We had scheduled on Cofield & Company Jen Welter, Dr. Jen Welter. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I She interviewed across the way because we were all set up in a small area. She interviewed across the way with Q. And she was so hopped up and energized. I was like, I, I can't do this. I'm like, I don't think I can match her energy. She's a lunatic. Oh, her, if you follow her on Instagram, you'll get tired. Like, Coach Jen Walter is My God. on in all day, all the time. But she's a great ambassador for the sport, great ambassador for women. Obviously, you know, she coached in the NFL, you know, for the Cardinals. She's one of the first NFL uh, female coaches to coach in the NFL. So, you know, she knows a lot, a lot of knowledge. A lot of guys got a gang of respect for her. Uh, but she's got a ton of energy. How was the brunch? You guys had an NFL Wives brunch? Yeah, we had we had a brunch at Flankers. Um, you know, the NFL thread for the all the uh, NFL Wives as well. And Flankers was cool enough, man. I partnered up with the chef that they used my spices and barbecue sauce on wings, sliders, breakfast burritos, uh, you know, pulled pork sandwiches, hot chicken sandwiches. And everybody, I was just walking around, and, the, and people were, like, licking their fingers. And they were like, man, whose spices is that? So shout out to Flankers for using my Grilling McMillan spices, man. It was a huge hit. Uh, things that just continue to take off, man, for the spices. So 
Blankets is a cool sports bar, too, man, to watch games. Mark, I've got to ask you, I know that the Super Bowl was a week ago, but, but not your actual thoughts on the game just yet. But when it comes to the watching, the party, did you host or were you at an event somewhere? Because I can imagine if you're hosting, people are going to be thinking you got to be grilling for us, right? I, yeah, at first I was like, hey, I want to go to the game. But then again, I was thinking like my brother and them, they came down uh, from L.A. So it was like six, they were like six deep. Uh, you know, my family was here. My son flew in from Arizona. So I was like, you know what? Why don't I just, you know, bypass the game, the, the party? And I fired up the grill like 2 o'clock in the morning. Saturday, uh, Saturday night, and then smoked a brisket for like 14 hours, and I got up. I was like, you know what, let's just make a party. So I threw on wings, <laughs> hot links, ribs, potato salad. So I had a whole spread, man. So we had a we had a really good time. And thank goodness I made enough food because who would have thought that Super Bowl would go into overtime like that? Mark McMillan is with Cofield and Company. We're hanging out here at uh, Treasure Island inside the Golden Circle Sportsbook, and Bar Demond's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. All right. On the Niners side with Shanahan, where did they lose that game? Did they lose it with overly aggressive play calling in the third quarter when they kept going three and out and there's a lot of passing, or did they really yep. lose it with the decision in overtime? Um, I think, like you said, in, in the third quarter, you know, they went away from the running game. Um, it was just strictly passing. And, you know, Ayuk, who was an all-pro receiver, uh, I think he only got like maybe three targets or three passes or something like that uh, late late going in the, in the game. You know, they tried to ramp up uh, McCaffrey in the fourth quarter, but I think if they would have stayed with the running game, you see Andy Reid stuck with it. You know, Pacheco was getting maybe two yards, one yard here, but they stayed consistent to the running game, and it helped them out, uh, especially going into overtime. So um, Shanahan, I, then we had the rumors he didn't know the overtime rules. It's like, how, like, what are these guys doing? You know, you guys are head coaches. You should know the rules. And, hey, you ask for the ball first, you go out and kick a field goal against Patrick Mahomes, you know Andy Reid is going for seven. He's not kicking a field goal to yeah. try to extend that game. Well, no matter what happened, whether they got the ball or, well, if they got the ball first, the uh, the Chiefs have already talked about it. Kelsey did that. Uh, if they had the first possession, they were going for a touchdown, and they were going for two. So they had a plan in place, and you're right. I'm I'm kind of blown away, and I don't know how you keep it under wraps, but the players kind of snitched on on uh, Shanahan, and obviously everyone wanted to ask him in the first place about taking the ball first, but uh, I, I cannot believe it got out that across the board they really didn't have a game plan for the playoff overtime rules. They just they were not prepared, and uh, on the other side, I don't know if you heard this one, but uh, the Chiefs actually have an analytics guy who's in charge of that, and Kelsey said we went over it like four times uh, throughout the playoffs just in case it happened. We had a plan. You would think after all that debacle, you know, years ago, um, you know, in Detroit, you know, the coin toss and all that, you will have a plan for that. Yep. We're talking about Shanahan. Well, this is not your first rodeo, young man. Your dad won two Super Bowls. You have a ton of knowledge that you can reach out to and go over these things. And like I said, analytics, whatever you want to call it, uh, Big Red and them, they were ready for anything and everything. And it showed in the game. And, you know, I know, you know, he fired what, uh, Coach Wilkes, the defensive coordinator. Uh, but you're the head coach. You know, you, you're supposed to be able to score more points than that to put your team in position. And, you know, for, for Wilkes' defense, you lose one of your star run, uh, linebackers who a freak Achilles injury just running onto the field, and you still hold the Chiefs, uh, you know, to under 20-something points going into overtime. Um, Shanahan, shame on you, man. You know, you, you blew it again. Now they're calling them the, the Buffalo Niners. 
<laughs> Mark, I've got to ask you, when it comes to the defense, what they talk about Steve Wilkes where, hey, maybe he didn't run the same defense that it was in previous years with that system. How much for you as a player does that actually matter where you have a, do, a different defensive coordinator where, hey, he's coming in here and he's making, maybe we're running like our blitzing packages are different. But at the end of the day, it's still the same players, right? It's still the same players. You know, obviously, he, you know, they got a ton of – their D-line is amazing. Uh, you know, their linebacker core is one of the best in the business. Their secondary is the young. Some spots they needed a little help in. But they held the Chiefs to what, uh, three points? You know, going going into the halftime. You know, yep. so it, 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 was, it wasn't the defense's fault. You know, those guys were out there battling for 60-plus minutes now, you can say. Um, so defense did exactly what they were supposed to do. You gave number 15 too many times the ball. You just can't, can't continue to give 15 the ball. And, you know, whatever game plan they had in the second half, uh, Andy Reid figured it out, started getting Kelsey more involved into the game plan. And once he started getting in, in the game plan, then that just opened up more guys like Rice uh, on the outside to make big plays downfield. Mark McMillan on Cofield and Company. Your meal of the week, was it the short ribs that you posted? Oh, man, I made some short ribs. I poured so much wine in there. Everybody's like, man, what is that, a drunken meal? You know, but <laughs> <laughs> breaks it down. It breaks it down. Like, you know, it's a good meal. Like, you pour uh. wine in, but I tell people, you burn the wine off. You know, you cook that wine long enough, it's going to burn off. It's not going to taste like alcohol. So I braised those short ribs for like three and a half hours at two at 350 in the oven. Man, I made me some mashed potatoes. I Blended up the little au jus with the carrots, celery, onions, thyme, bay leaves, and then I made my juice with it. Man, those short ribs were delicious. All right. So, so good. Got to go back and listen to this after the show so I can write all that down. I know, Greg. You got the recipe. You got the recipe now. Uh, Mark, are you uh, checking out your show uh, now in season three, Next Level Chef? Have you watched the first three episodes? Yeah, I watched the first three, man. They, it, it, it's almost like watching ourselves all over again. You know, yeah. there's dropping platforms. There's people in the basement, you know, trying to figure it out. I saw the one young lady, she was trying to toast her bun, and there was only toasters from the outside because the pan was warped. So I was like, I understand your pain, young lady. So it's good to see, you know, a new cast on there doing really well. Um, I know uh, Matt Grork and uh, Tiny uh, was out here doing a cooking competition uh, at the Virgin Hotel for for the Super Bowl, so our team season two, we're still crushing it offside, you know, off the set. But uh, good luck to those on season three. It's a great show, great concept, and uh, I'm just excited to be a part of the family. We, I was thinking about your boy Matt Gork uh, the other day because I want to talk some Eagles. We got to get him on in the next couple weeks. Let's work on that. Yeah, we'll get Matt on, man. We'll talk some birds. Uh, obviously, there was a little shakeup up there. We got our wings clipped, yeah. but. Uh, hats, hats off to the Chiefs, man, once again. And I saw Chris Jones got his little deal uh, picked up, and I'm sure he'll be back uh, with the Chiefs. Those guys are going for the three-peat, man. And it's like, Ugh. who's going to knock those guys off? You know, it, 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 it's Eagles. crazy. To just, it's, it's, it's crazy to watch this dynasty uh, unfold. Uh, Next Level Chef 3. So they've got a former pro wrestler who's like the biggest person I've ever seen on TV outside of actual wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he can cook. And then – they got a dude from Scranton who, uh, he's, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. He's got, like, the, the fat roll on his head, which I admire yeah. as, a, as a fellow chubby guy. But I, I think nothing against your show. 
I think they might have some higher-level chefs. I thought that last group, the pro chefs, the three dudes, the guy from Maui, I forgot where the other yeah. guy is who's got all the tats, man, that group was really good. Yeah, they got some. They they, they leveled up, I guess. You know, from <laughs> last year, it was <laughs> yeah. more social media, uh, home cooks. We had some really good uh, professional chefs on there. But they ramped it up this year, man. They got some really good cooks on there. And those those guys, those young ladies, man, they are battling it out in the kitchen. And yeah. like I said, it's a, lot, it's a lot easier and a lot cooler sitting at home watching on the couch than sitting there knowing uh, back home people are like, man, what is Mark going to drop? What is he going to burn up? Is he going to make it to the next round? So, man, uh, shout out to Chef Ramsey for making another great uh, show. And he is, I don't know if I like it, he's softening a bit. There was a crucial error made in Episode 3. Uh, check this out, folks, on Fox. Uh, Mark McMillan's an alum of Next Little Chef. A lady made clams but basically didn't use the clam juice, and he yeah. was very nice about it. I feel like it, like old, old, you know, whatever, I guess younger, uh, Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> he would have ripped her head off. But he all, all he did was keep muttering, clam juice, clam juice, clam juice. Yeah, I, I was surprised about that, too. Um because a lot of stuff that's, that's going on is off camera. And there were some times uh, on, in our kitchen, on our floor, that, you know, we have forgot an in- ingredient or whatever. And yeah. he, he, he'll let you know about it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like I said, he, he, he softened up a little bit. You know, I think one time I grabbed, like, thyme. And I grabbed, like, all these vegetables. And he was like, what the hell are you going to do with all this? Yeah. But it wasn't off camera. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, I don't know, chef. That's what I'm here for. You're, you, you tell me what exactly. I'm going to do with it. He's like, yeah. he's like, you better figure it out. <laughs> well, he's real big. He, he will walk around and very subtly be like, you're going to burn that. This is the way you got to cook yep. it. You're burning it. He's <laughs> very fired up. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's cool about those one-liners, man. He was always walking behind us, and you know, he was telling me, like, when are you going to put the fish in the pan? I'm thinking, like, oh, my bad. He'll tell you. All right, we got to close on this one. Um, Eric Allen's not in the Hall of Fame in this class. Oh, gosh. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. What are we doing? I, I don't know. I don't know, Steve. Uh, I was uh, I was talking to Q the other day. I was like, man, maybe we should make him an honorary gold jacket and just have, just let him have it on there, just to be like, yo, uh, you know, talking to Rod Woodson. Um, I got a chance to talk to Isaac Bruce. Uh, you know, some of the guys uh, that's already in the Hall of Fame, and they were like, bro, we just don't we don't get it. I talked to Andre Reed, uh, who he has to face, you know, over their career. And like I said, you know, out of eight years, I played alongside Eric for four of those years. And, you know, he was clearly one of the better cornerbacks in the league. There was, it was him, Dion, Daryl Green, uh, Rod Woodson, uh, Chris Dishman. You know, those were the guys uh, that everybody, you know, kind of like, man, these are the dudes that, that lead the way of that next wave of DBs. And for Eric to still be left off the list, it's like, mm. what does the brother have to do to get in there? It, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I was also surprised that Antonio Gates didn't make it. I feel like Gates is yep. legitimately a top six or seven tight end of all time. Put him in the hall. Come on. Oh, definitely. And, you know, when we played against the, you know, the Chargers, you circled that. You yes. knew that Antonio Gates was going to do something. Uh, another basketball player, former basketball player like Tony Gonzalez, uh, put up a lot, of, a lot of the same numbers, um, you know, opposed the same kind of skill set. Uh, that can run, that can jump, very athletic. Uh, so some of those guys, you see, it's like it, it makes the it, it makes the Hall of Fame kind of like look bad to kind of shine these guys and it, it, you know even Lester Hayes. You know, I threw that name out there. Uh, Lester Hayes is another guy that 
that transcended the game, you know, changed the game. And I was talking to Mike Sherrard the other day. He was like, I don't know why Lester Hayes is not in the game. He said, whenever I played against the Raiders, he said, I caught zero passes on Lester Hayes. <laughs> He's like, he was that, he was that good. Yep. <laughs> Mark, have a great weekend. We appreciate the time, and we'll check in with you soon, okay? All right, appreciate you guys having me on, man. There he is, Mark McMillan. Uh, did I do it? I, I get paid nothing by Fox, by the way, by Big Fox. But I really, I like those cooking competition shows. And after watching Mark on Next Level Chef, I always like Ramsey, but I've gotten a lot more appreciation now the last year or so for Gordon Ramsey. You going to watch it? You going to jump on board now? Uh, I am. When you mentioned the uh, the Mata character for, like, the former WWE guy, yeah, yeah. tough enough competitor. Yeah, I'm, I'll check it out now because that really piqued my interest. That former pro wrestler, oh, they got and everybody I, on this show. He And let me tell you something. Because the concept of the show, they have to run across a room and grab ingredients, and there's like three levels of ingredients, and the platform disappears. It goes up. That guy was so nice to everybody. Because like it's, it's competitive to get what you want. Otherwise, I'm trying to think of, like, one guy got stuck. They had all these different meats, and he got stuck with, there. I think the two worst were, like, tongue, which some lady nailed that. But another guy who, like, I don't think he could really cook was trying to make alligator. How do you end up on the show, then? I, there were a couple. There's been a couple of people so far that were just a disaster. They couldn't deal with the pressure. But <laughs> that that Mata guy, like if he wants to go over to that platform and just start like just clearing out, he was in mean, every because he's big man. He's like six five. He could just be popping people right in the freaking jaw. Yeah, wrestling and competitive cooking. I love it. All right, Vasquez in the game. Whoa, oh, Rob Whaley on the inbound for the slam. No. Now back to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Big game coming up this weekend, Saturday. Interesting spot, 8.30 start. I like late-night games. We'll find out from a former player if you like those late-night spots. Damon is here. We're hanging out at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar and getting ready for the game against the Wolfpack. We bring in Anthony Marshall, legendary guard, who played for the Rebels and a hometown guy. Anthony, how are you? It's Steve Endemann. Hey, how y'all doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. We're good, man. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, uh, we always like to get an update from you on, on what you're doing. So what's going on for you uh, work-wise and otherwise? Uh, well, I'm still here in the uh, Las Vegas Valley. Um, I'm working with kids, uh, doing basketball training and various other activities, you know, just trying to do my part to – help the next generation and, you know, give it back to a place that gave me so much. All right, let's start getting into this game. And before we do that, let's get some reaction on what you've seen with the team. We heard a Rob Whaley dunk coming in. I want to get to him in a second. But, my Lord, um, you are a good point guard. Nothing against you. Deedon Thomas <laughs> is no, – I mean, Deedon Thomas is a freshman, Anthony. This is crazy. Yeah, for sure. He, he's the real deal. And, you know, it's so exciting – to watch him, you know, play and how he's developing throughout the season. Um, being a Las Vegas native, and if you're in the basketball community, you kind of you, you know what player you were getting. So to see it come for, to fruition and the way he's adjusting to things, um, a lot of people don't know that the, the Mountain West is a, a tough conference to play in, and it doesn't matter where you go to play, from the Wyomings to the Boise States, it, it's always a tough night out. So to see how he's handling that as somebody that's supposed to be a senior in high school, it's fascinating, and he has the city really excited for him to be our point guard. That's a crazy thing, like you mentioned. He's 18, and uh, yeah, he's got he's he's pretty decently built kid. He's got you know strong legs. He's going to put some more weight on. But this is a league right now 
where it seems like every other point guard, maybe not Isaiah Hill at Fresno, but every other point guard, well, Isaiah is 23, but every other point guard is like 22, 23, and they're like 195 to 215. Like they, they're, all, they're all behemoth. Are you surprised that he's been able to deal with the physical play? Um, not really. I mean, when, 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 you're, when you're playing against strong guards like that, you kind of have to think a little bit ahead. So you just watch the way he's playing. He's real meticulous in the, on the way he's approaching the game. And, um, you know, he's played at a high level for so long. Of course, you know, you get to college and you're playing against stronger, faster athletes and stuff like that. And it's, and it's an adjustment period. And I think early on he kind of went through that period. And now he's kind of finding that rhythm where you're, you see him in those strides and stuff like that. So I'm excited for what's to come and just the way he's playing. And then next year when he has a summer under his belt to really bulk up and, you know, put on weight, uh, I think it's going to be scary next year. What's it like for a team to come together? Because we saw that this team really started to turn the corner once Keelan Boone gained his eligibility. What's that like having to maybe come together mid-season for a team and now you see the things are turning around with this five-game win streak? Um, it, it's fascinating. You know, you, you spend all off-season gelling and working on stuff and just building that camaraderie, and then you get to the season and, you know, you might be shorthanded and – you keep hope alive because you know you have a, a missing piece that can really turn the corner. For instance, when I played, we had a situation where Kim Birch wasn't eligible to play, and you know we wanted him so bad on the court, and then finally when he was able to play, it was a, a, a complete night and day turnaround for our team. We had somebody on the backside that we knew could protect the rim, and as guards, that allowed us to get up into the, the, uh, the other teams and, and pressure the ball and fly around knowing that we had that safety net back there. So I think it's a similar situation with this year's group. And then you mentioned Dedon Thomas being a young point guard and having to, you know, maybe what I'm trying to say, have that leadership as a freshman. Do you think that the team is now fully bought into him running the offense? Because it felt like sometimes earlier in the season where people were still trying to, hey, maybe being used to bringing the ball up the court themselves or just not buying in completely. Do you think that the team is fully bought in now with him running the team? I believe so. I mean, we all know who his father is. So, DJ, he, he was born to be a point guard and, and born to be a rebel. So, to see the things he's doing um, is great. And, you know, early on when you have a freshman coming in and, you know, he's highly highly sought after and stuff like that and guys have been around a little bit longer, you know, you, you're kind of trying to find your identity. And as we can see now, I think they have that identity. You, you don't have guys trying to bring the ball up as much. You don't have guys trying to shoot. 30, 32 footers and stuff like that. I think we all, um, the guys on the team, they, they know who they are. They know their roles. And to be a successful team, that's that's what you have to do. You know what I mean? You can't have everybody trying to be a scorer. Somebody has to do the dirty work. Somebody has to go in the post and stuff like that. And I think this, over the course of the last couple of weeks, we have saw that, which has led to us being on the five-game win streak. Anthony Marshall's on Cofield in company with Damon and Steve Cofield. Uh, give me your general recollection of the rivalry uh, against Reno. Uh, what do you remember the most about it in terms of the intensity and the games? Yeah, I mean, it, just like you said, the intensity. Um, being a guy from Las Vegas and, you know, having friends and family that has have spent time in UNR or, or went to school there and stuff like that, it's always, you know, it's about the bragging rights and stuff like that and every possession and every minute of every second of the game counts. So um, preparation is... It, I mean, you, you try not to let it um, be any different from any other game, but of course, it, it means a little bit more. You're, you're playing for, you know, bragging rights in your in your backyard, and they're playing for the same. So it's very competitive, high energy, 
uh, fans on both sides, make it exciting. So I think tomorrow is going to be a hostile environment, and you know I think the Mac will be rocking. You never lost to UNR. So when you talk about a rivalry, did it feel one-sided when you were there? Like, yeah, it's a rivalry. We want to win, but we're not really worried about these guys? <laughs> um, not, not really. I mean, uh, to me, it was always a rivalry, just touching on the things I just stated about, you know, state rivals and being a Las Vegas native. But at the same time, like, you can't, you can't overlook anybody in the Mountain West because on any given night, somebody can catch fire. And, you know, you could be <laughs> on the front page of the news and stuff like that. So um, we always approached it. Um, with sincere concern, but at the same time, we did have a lot of confidence in ourselves just because the way, not necessarily anything against them, but just the way we approached the game and our preparation for it. And I think when you prepare in such a manner, like you, you'll have success, you'll get the outcome that you want. Former UNLV star guard Anthony Marshall's on Cofield and Company. So I think by my count, you guys were five and zero against Reno. Uh, that last year, they uh, obviously joined the conference, so you played them twice you played against some pretty good players and they, they weren't you know super um you know successful um during that stint just in general but they had luke babbitt i know when you first got there and i gotta tell you and uh, i thought two of the best guards and you know i think you only faced uh, marquise coleman one year but deontay burton is one of the best guards in the history of the mountain west conference that guy the deep shooting the explosiveness so to demand's point like oh you guys were winning but you still had to worry about them because one of those guys could freaking go off, and all of a sudden you do suffer a loss. Yeah, exactly like you said. And, you know, Luke Babbitt was a great stretch for um, – I played against him in the state championship uh, in high school my sophomore year. We lost to him by three. And then the next week we were AAU tournament uh, teammates. So, oh, um, then, okay. yeah, it, it was sick. I was upset. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple years later, you know, I'm playing against him at UNR. And he was a guy that could really shoot the ball, shoot lights out. And on that team, they had a guard from up north named Amir Johnson. He got drafted by the Portland Trailblazers, I yep, believe. That's right, yep. Freak athlete, real fast and shifty, and really could score the ball at a high volume. Fast forward, Deontay Burton, like you said, super explosive. You know, I, I've known him since high school, um, traveling, playing AAU and stuff like that. A guy from Kelly, so we spent a lot of time with one another. Very explosive. And then you move forward. Um, Coleman, I, I played against him once, I think, but he yeah, was kind of younger, so he hadn't really come into who he was going to be. But, you know, they always keep good players and stuff like that. And like you said, at any given night, you know, you can end up surfing or a loss. So you always got to take them with um, sincere concern and, and prepare um, for them the right way. And with their coach, I mean, we all know his history. He's a, he's a tough guy. So, you know what I mean? I'm sure they're going to come out very <laughs> – fierce and you know ready to play Damon, be honest were you afraid that uh, anthony was going to curse there about alford a little bit a little <laughs> bit <laughs> i, worry. I think you're going to drop like an f-bomb or something you, you, you know i can't i can't allow you to do it but i mean we'd catch it but yeah i got my know. hand in the button <laughs> we funny. know we know your true feelings come on now it's always fun to play against him i mean like he's very methodical in the way he coaches and his schemes and his sets and stuff like that so it's always a chess match and I think Kev is. I know Kev will be prepared tomorrow, and you know the Mecca will be rocking. It's going to be a tough place for UNR to come and get a win, and I don't think they will. Something that you said that I'm really interested in when it comes to former players. You mentioned playing against Luke Babbitt in high school and in college, and he, you know, a first round pick in the NBA draft. Can you tell early on with some guys like, oh man, that dude definitely going to the league? Oh, uh, for sure. Like Luke coming out of high school, Luke was the number one power forward in, in his class at one point. And, you know, it fluctuated between one and four. But 
you know, so playing some of the AU games with him, like it used to get a crunch time. And at this time, I believe I'm a freshman. So I really hadn't made a name for myself or earned those those stripes yet. So I remember like post game, sometimes we would throw it to Luke in the post or on the wing and the whole team would go to the other side of the court and just let him work by itself. And, you know, just witnessing things like that, like, yo, this, this guy is a real deal. Like he's going to, you know, he's going to begin his name called in a couple of years. And, you know, it came to fruition. Anthony Marshall's with us. So let's come full circle and close on this in terms of the kind of team and the kind of ball that the Rebels are playing right now. So they've really turned into uh, a team that wants to get in the paint, and I'm not talking dribble drive. They want post feeds because Caleb Boone is really good. Rob Whaley has become a favorite because how often do you see a guy who's 6'5 and 250 with that kind of leaping ability? And, you know, in terms of having two bigs on the floor – the UNLV teams haven't really had that in many cases where they really played a four and five. And I'm glad you mentioned Ken Birch. That really was an all-time combo when he was with Roscoe Smith. That was like the rare case for UNLV basketball where they had two guys on the floor. You could count on like 24 rebounds a night from the two of them. Yeah, definitely. Roscoe, he was very active on the boards. And, you know, my senior year, um, we had Kim and Anthony uh, Bennett. So oh. you know, that was another two that kind of, you know, complement each other. You had A.B. that was a stretch for that could step step outside the three-point line and give you shots. And then he was also a beast in the paint. And then also with Kim, you had somebody you could dump it down to and get offensive rebounds and stuff like that. So I had the luxury of playing with, you know, both of those guys. And with this year's team, like you said, it's such a luxury to have two, a four, and a five that can, that can give you easy points, you know. Um, one has Boone. He has the footwork. Like against New Mexico, I was so blown away. I knew he had great <laughs> touch, but seeing the way he was pivoting and getting the angles on the rim, I'm like, oh my god! And then you have the guy that that's just beasting down there. So it, it, it opens up things for the rest of the team because you have to worry about them. And now we're playing basketball from the inside out rather than just chunking up threes. And I think after that game against Air Force, everybody had a hard look in the mirror, and you know decided what they wanted to do, what they wanted to make of the rest of the season, and we're, we're witnessing it right now. Anthony, we appreciate it. You're going to be out of the game tomorrow night. Can you make it? Yes, sir. I'm going to definitely be out there. I wouldn't miss it. And, you know, I have a former teammate over there coaching, so uh, I have to go give him a hard time. Oh, on. boy. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm having a tough time. Are you okay with that? What are you? This is kind of I know I know Justin Hawkins trying to blend into the whole thing, but come on, man, let's get another yeah, job. It, get the hell out it, of it, Reno. It's very tough, but I understand the business aspect of it, so I, I give him kind of a, a little pass. But you know, it, 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 I'm gonna I'm give him a hard time regardless. Good, do it. All right, Anthony, thank you for the time. No problem. Thank you, guys. Yeah, all timer. And one of the, the the recent point guards that was a high level guy, and I talked about the point guard legacy. You know, the last, like, 15 years, Damon, and I think it's one of the reasons that UNLV hasn't excelled at the highest level. Anthony was one of the good ones, obviously going way back to when Kevin Kruger was playing. He was a good one as well. Belfield, very solid. But you'll remember, I don't know why I always remember this, because then I remember the aftermath. Uh, Nadja Williams-Goss was all set to come. He, he was a commit as a sophomore. They had a second chance on the bounce back to get him when he transferred. They didn't get him, and then Spencer Dinwiddie. Like now, now I know I'm old because Spencer Dinwiddie's a veteran, <laughs> like, old Spencer Dinwiddie. But they lost out uh, on him to Colorado. I think he was down to Colorado and Harvard and UNLV. But just to bring it back to now, yeah, what DJ Thomas is doing is awesome, and I can't wait to see what what they're going to do defensively. Alford, he's got some good defensive players. 
But I can tell you, uh, uh, Keenan Blackshear ain't going to cover DJ Thomas. Like, that's not going to last the whole game because he'll run him ragged. So then Trey Coleman's another interesting guy because he's also 6'7". I actually think he'll be able to cover him a little bit. And then from there, what you hope for is that one of the smaller guards who are sharpshooters, they cover DJ mm-hmm. like Lucas or McIntosh, and then you can tire them out on the defensive end so maybe they're not as effective from three. A lot of good matchups. Say it again. I said perfect game plan, Steve. Well, that's not a game plan. I'm just yeah. – I don't know I don't know what's going to happen because the matchups in this game are a little bit different. I mean, clearly they're going to they – might, they might have Coleman freaking guarding Rob Whaley. They might have him guard Caleb Boone from time to time. This is good. It's it good is. to have a lot of offensive options and have challenges for the uh, opposing team and how they're going to cover this whole thing. Uh, today's show is in part brought to you by our friends down at Circle Las Vegas. Alexander Volkov is back. UFC 298 is going to be on the screens at Stadium Swim, a great place to attend a viewing party that's uh, amongst the best in all of Las Vegas. It's at Stadium Swim, Volkanovski uh, on this card in Anaheim. Henry Cejudo's on the card. Robert Whitaker on the comeback. He's on the card. Full card, UFC pay-per-view. Make sure you book a spot now, though. Time is short. It's tomorrow night. CircleLasVegas.com is where you go to book it. UFC 298 viewing party at Stadium Swim. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. We got a show coming up in April. Man, we got out our prizes early. Very impressed. Good job by Craig, our promotions guy. Ray Romano is in town in April. That's going to be funny. He's awesome. Three six four eleven hundred caller seven. He's at the Venetian. The show is uh, April twelfth and thirteenth, and there's Summit Theater again at the Venetian. Caller seven three six four eleven hundred. Damon is going to hook you up. All right, Damon. Do we go into the weekend with some light talk about NBA All Star Weekend and this roster playing in the celeb game and? Micah Parsons looking like uh, the round mound of rebound, but he just bricked one, but very athletic. Or do we both get all worked up and head into the weekend talking about our Las Vegas A's? It's your choice. I love to be light, Steve, but we need to be a serious show and talk about the issues that matter. All right. Uh, First of all, I don't know why I go on Twitter in the evening, I just want to chill. And I see this tweet, and it's not bad, but I'm not really sure what it was inferring. I mean, technically, I guess this is fact, malicious facts. Coliseum Sewage, and I like this account, very angry at the A's, <laughs> said, I can't explain how stark the difference in enthusiasm for baseball is in Utah versus Las Vegas. Salt Lake is pumped about MLB, even being just a temporary site for the A's, Vegas just does not seem to care at all. That's not accurate. You heard what the person wrote, right? We're not enthused about baseball? Stop, man. This person also, Coliseum Sewage, maybe they don't understand the difference between Las Vegas and Salt Lake City. Maybe, Maybe they just haven't been to both. Go ahead. Talk about it. Where one of us 
are a little bit more excited for the A's because you know that if expansion comes around, you're probably not going to be looked at anyway. You're not getting picked for the team. You're not getting asked to the dance. But Las Vegas, the sports market that we have created as a city, we don't need the A's. So no, we're not excited about it. We're not excited for a stadium that's going to be built on, what, nine acres that's supposed to have a retractable roof, but it's going to be one of the few stadiums in Major League Baseball outside of Tampa, well, the only one, including Tampa, that would have a dome. Who would be excited about that? But we're not as ex- we don't like baseball as much as Utah. Look at all the look at all the major league players that we've put in into the league over the past decade. Yeah, which would indicate you know a nice youth system of kids in this city excited and energized about baseball. But no, 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 we don't like it as much as Salt Lake. I don't like to come on the airwaves and rip on the state of Utah. Okay, I'm lying. I love doing that, but I try to limit it. So Demond's point here is. We're not desperate. We're coveted. We're not desperate. And I'm going to give you something else. And I, I don't mean anything bad by this, which generally is a preface for I do mean something bad. The people here, many of us, Damon, can be a bit anti-establishment, right? People come here. Because they go against the grain. Vegas is a really good place to go against the grain, right? We have a lot of freedoms here. It's a place where we're not ruled with an iron fist. So, yeah, we're mad. Coliseum sewage. On a lot of fronts, we don't like the stadium design, which is still being hidden. You know, a dome on the strip, what's the friggin' point? Build it at the Speedway, Henderson... Or somewhere else in North Las Vegas. What difference does it make if there's a dome? Right? The other thing is, Utah is just a different sort of state. It just is. I don't think there's a lot of pushback against the powers that be in the state of Utah. I think there's a lot of people here who are fighters. And they're like, hey, we moved here because we don't want to acquiesce to where we used to live. We're going to do what we want. So I sanitize that a bit. I'm being nice. Uh, you know, the, the other interesting thing in this is the A's don't have their renderings out. They're like, oh, we're going to wait for Bally's. You know what's crazy about this is the other three corners, Damon, Trop and LV Boulevard, it's all MGM, right? Do you think they want to do something with the Excalibur eventually? Probably, mm-hmm. right? For the MGM itself... The plan, I mean, it looks like the plan right now. I'm going to use a strong word. I don't mean it this way, but the MGM is is facing, looking across the street, across LV Boulevard, and there will be some monstrosity across the way. You know what I mean? Oh, so you're saying they don't want an eyesore there. I, I'm not saying eyesore, but, like, they're going to have to plan for something. Like, this building is going to be shadowing. Oh, yes. Part of the MGM. So I'm sure they, they want to know for plans and Obviously, ingress and egress is going to be affected on a lot of nights. So we're all just waiting at this point. Just tell us what you're planning. Come on. Well, Steve, we do know one thing about the plan. If we can trust anybody in baseball, that's uh, Rob Manfred, who says he believes that this will be built by 2028. Okay. He's confident that this is on that the move is on schedule. 
and he is going to be leaving baseball yes, exactly. less than a year later. I, I, I didn't see the scenario where he talked about both of these, but was, was it, a, was it a, a situation where he's like, I'm telling you, the A's are going to have the stadium done in Vegas by 2028. All right, everybody, I'm retiring in 2029. See ya. And just walked out of the room. It wasn't like that, but that's no, how I'm taking right, it. That's what I'm like. I feel like I'm guaranteeing it. All right, see you later. No questions. And if it's not, I will not be around to be held responsible. <laughs> right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, Lordy. All right, we'll get out to the Thomas and Mac tomorrow. Getting Peter Brady down the stretch here. UNLVTickets.com, UNLVTickets.com. Late start, uh, perfect time, 830. You can get all riled up. There's going to be a lot of students there. And uh, see if Kevin Kruger can move to 5-0 against Steve Alford. Well, you could hear it. I love that. You could hear it in Anthony Marshall's voice. We had him on 15 minutes ago. And when he mentioned Alford, he like, Meh. all right. We all feel that way, man. We all feel that way. Especially going back to the New Mexico days and all that pit north nonsense and cutting down the net with his stupid checkered co- All right, well, we got to get out of here before I get myself in trouble. Thanks to Treasure Island for hosting the show. Great job, James. Come on, have a great weekend. We'll see everybody.